Good morning, church. It's so good here to be here this morning. Why don't you stand up and let's sing together.
this morning. We are going to take um, just a moment, you know, during worship we sing, but we also just want to take a little time and pray for the things that are going on in your world um, today. There's some great news of great things that are going on, and there's things that are just weighing on our hearts. So we, this morning, want to just take all those things, gather them together, and lay them down at the cross, and just give them to Jesus, because some of them are so overwhelming that we can't carry them throughout the week. And um, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that is there in the great seasons, and you're a God that's there in the worst of seasons. So God, I pray that each and every person in this room, that they would lay down at your feet the things that are going on in their world, Father. God, the circumstances that they don't have control over, God, the things that they are just so overjoyed with, Jesus, that we would just celebrate those things with you, God, and, and mourn the things that need to be mourned with you, Jesus. God, I pray that today you would be present in each of our lives, that we would sense your presence in this place. And as we continue to worship Jesus, I pray that um, we would sense you in this building, that each and every one of those things that we're laying down at your feet, God, that we can trust that you are in the midst of them, that you are outworking your will, God, and Father, that you have good for us, Jesus. We love you so much. We give you everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, everyone. You can be seated. My name's Elle, and um, I'm going to be sharing with you guys today around the giving announcement. And um, I was, as I was thinking about it this week, I was looking back on um, when Chase and I first got married, which was three years ago already. Um, and we were, you know, sort of figuring out how to tithe together. And at first, we, it just felt comfortable and safe to just give 10% and, and start from there. And then um, soon after, we, I don't know, we just both felt on our heart compelled to, to just give more, to just give this, this amount that was um, more significant for us. And it was, it was a way for us to, to tell God, hey, look, we're trusting you with our finances. And we're going to, um, yeah, trust your word that you care for us. You're a, a good father and you're going to provide. And it was at a time where we were looking um, to buy our first home together. And uh, that proved to be a longer journey than we expected because we lived in a trailer for, we're still living in a trailer actually for two and a half years. And um, we found a, a house six months ago that we were able to buy. And I can say it was purely with, because of God's goodness, because I'm telling you, when we were looking, I mean, I, I'm French, so I come from France where the market out there, there's a ton of houses for sale and very affordable. And we came out here and three years ago, there was like three houses for sale in the first year that was within our budget. And uh, there were like 10 people on it and we'd get our hopes up and pray for one and nothing would come through. And we were like, God, like, what's going on? We really, you know, want to get a place of our own and we're trying to trust you with our finances but like it seems like we're never gonna get a home and um but i believe that this home that we got was purely because of god's goodness because it just doesn't make sense if you look at it with numbers and god's been so faithful to us and yes it's because he's a good god and he's a good father but i can't help wonder if it could be partly too because he saw that we were completely trusting him with our finances and didn't put our trust in um, our own money, which we felt like wasn't ours anyway. It was from him. And that he saw that maybe we were trying to be faithful with um, the little that we had. And so he decided to entrust us with more. I just can't help but wonder. I don't know for sure, but I know God is a good God. And he says in his word, Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And God says to test him in this. And I find it so interesting because most of the time God is testing people to see if they're going to be faithful, if they're going to trust in him. Or he, we read in the Bible, do not test the Lord. But in this area, he's like, hey, see if I will not provide and show up for you. This moment is between you and God, really, and, and what He's putting on, our, on your heart to give. There's no right amount. It's whatever, you know, you feel in your heart to give. So the ushers are going to get ready to come up, and we're going to pray. Dear God, I thank you that you're a good God, and you're our provider, and you're a good Father, and you says you ask us to trust you in this, and that can be one area that can be really tricky for a lot of people to... Um, to really let it go and believe that you're going to show up when, even when it seems like there's no, 
no good outcome that, that could possibly show up there. Thank you that you are faithful, Lord God, and I pray that you would bless this tithe and you would bless the people that are um, putting their faith in you. And I pray that we would use it for good and to bring your kingdom into this valley, Lord God. Amen. Let's get ready to welcome our lovely Presley to the stage this morning. We're going to share morning. some announcements. Hello. Hello. Isn't that beautiful? I just love Elle. Um, um, she has a lovely French accent, but I don't. I'm, I'm very American, and so, but you do have to listen to me for about five minutes here. So good morning, everybody. We are so excited you are here. If you are new to Journey Church, welcome. We do have a little welcoming gift for you outside at the hot spot. And I'm just going to kind of, it's a secret, y'all, but it's a free coffee from our collective. So, you know. It's good coffee. Yes, it's great coffee. Um, also, um, the fifth and sixth graders, you know you are dismissed right now. And if you have a little fussy baby, we do have a cry room back there. And so you can see out, but no one can see in. So it's, it's perfect. That's great. And Wednesday night is going to be our weekly Connect event, which is going to run from 6.30 to 8. And it's a wonderful opportunity for you to come. If you enjoy Sunday, please come along because it's a great way to... Uh, dig deeper into your relationship with God and sort of get to know yourself a bit more as well and, and the way you think and, and work and, and get with other people. And, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, I want to go. And then the time comes and you're like, I don't feel like it. But I want to challenge you to come along because that's one area we all need. Get plugged in, get to know, do life with other people. So, and it's an event for the whole family. There's going to be a program for the teens and for the kids, right? Yeah, there's childcare, so infants to sixth grade. How awesome is that? You get a babysitter for the night. You just have to talk to a couple strangers. It's really great. And, uh, no, it's really fun. We go, and I love it. Um, and then also, the crash is that night, so that's super cool. Thank you. Yeah, the crash is there. It hangs are at 6 o'clock, and then it goes from 6.30 to 8 out at the back patio. That's right. So it's a couple buildings down from this one. If you don't know, have never been, just walk down to the end of the parking lot. And another event, sort of like a social gathering, but for men only. It's called the Barbarian Circle, Woo! and it's gonna—they're gonna be meeting this Friday night at seven. Um, I don't have that much more information for you because they're kind of having their own secretive thing. I don't really know what they do, but it's great. They just hang out and chill. So it's gonna be at seven in the collective uh, lobby up there, out these doors. So yeah, come along. That's right, you bunch of barbarians, you get to hang out. Lord knows what you do. Um, so that's it, that's all we have for you guys this morning. So take a second, and if you can get up and say hello to someone uh, next to you and make them feel welcome. You're seated this morning where we're going to be, we're heading into our final week in the series called The Way. And this is a series where we're talking about with Jesus' invitation. 
said, come to me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what Jesus was saying was that there's a way to live that was the way God always intended. And the fact that we live in a broken world that started from the very beginning when Adam and Eve pushed back against God, they rebelled, they fell. Well, that destruction, it's literally through the DNA of all of creation right now. The Bible talks about it being a, where the world is itself, the very creation is groaning to be renewed because of the curse, because of the brokenness. Well, Jesus said there is life, life that God always intended. He's inviting us into it. The new kingdom is already being established. The reign of God has begun. And Jesus said the way we enter that is through him. We come to him, he said, and come to me, and I will give you life, abundant life, life to the fullest. In other words, life like you were always intended to have, what God designed you for in the first place. What we've been discovering is that life is, is actually a way of life. We call it the way, the way of Jesus. And we've learned that the invitation is not just to a belief system, which is where a lot of churches get hung up on all the beliefs. Beliefs are important. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I command. In other words, we've got to have teaching. But it's not knowledge. It's living that Jesus said is going to transform you. It's practicing the way. And that's what we said. It's not about trying harder. It's about training. It's not I don't train to get into the kingdom. I get into the kingdom simply by believing what Jesus accomplished and stepping into that by faith. But then to live into this new life, I have to take on new habits, new ways, a new identity, a new belief system, a new way of participating, a new way of being human. And we've been talking about the ways we do that. We call those practices. They used to call them disciplines, but that sounds like getting in trouble. So we're going to use the words habits or, or practices. We talked about some of the practices that Jesus himself, he said, come into my way of life, take my yoke, my way of living upon you, and I'm going to teach you how to live. This is what we've been learning, and this is the morning we wrap up that series, and we're talking about a subject that Jesus himself formed his entire new community, this new life around this concept. You see, Jesus' entire, he, he was gathering a community of ordinary broken individuals, people that were just out of regular everyday life. And these people, he taught them to live this new way, and this way caught on fire. It literally interrupted the entire world at that time. One of the reasons it shocked and changed the world is because deep at the heart of this kingdom, deep at the center of what his new idea, is this idea that in this new kingdom, every son and daughter is a person who God has invited to become a part of his king. Every son and daughter of God is invited to become a servant. I know, it doesn't sound exciting. Everybody who is invited into the way of Jesus is invited into a life of serving. I know, don't get upset yet. The kingdom Jesus established is a kingdom of servants. This shocked people in their world too. This kind of disrupted the entire Roman world, which was the power, it was the America of that generation, only with a much larger iron fist. You worked with Rome or you died under its power. They didn't, they didn't agree to this idea. As a matter of fact, it made no sense in the Roman world that the greatest would be the least, that the most powerful would be the most servile. 
You see, the kingdom of earth has always struggled with this idea of serving. It doesn't make sense. It's not how Rome built its empire. Rome built its empire by crushing the weak and those around it. How can you say that to establish this new kingdom, you're going to love and honor and raise up the weak and the lowly and the poor? We were just getting rid of them. And now you've made them the stars of the show. It doesn't make sense. And so a lot of what Jesus did was to educate people about his new kingdom life and about this idea that it's built on serving. So one day in Matthew 20, uh, verse 20 and 21, we read the mother, then the mother of the sons Zebedee and James, I'm sorry, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came to Jesus with their sons and kneeling down asked for a, a favor of him. What is it you want? He said. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. See, they really didn't get this whole kingdom thing yet. They worried about where they were going to sit at the renewal of all things. They were worried about where their position was going to be. And and by the way, who would ever worry about where you're going to sit? Well, one of my early examples or illustrations, learning experiences in this whole regard, happened the first time I rode in a commercial airplane. Now, I, I've not been a person who traveled much. That wasn't something we did in my little hick town in the valley in the farmer's country. We just, we just didn't do a whole lot of flying. So I remember one of the first times I ever got on a commercial airline. And w- as we boarded, it happened from the very beginning. There was a compartment that went to the left as we walked on and a compartment that went to the right. And towards the left was the front of the airplane. And they had those people that sat up there. It was for the first class passengers. And then the people who turned to the right and went to the back were called the coach. No, I know. Second class. We all knew it, but they didn't say it. They called us coach passengers. We rode in coach, but we all knew who we were. In first class, these are the desirable seats. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And in that section, it's all about being served. I mean, you're treated like royalty. It's all about being first class. It's all about money and prestige and, you know, who's better and importance. And I mean, that's the kingdom of earth right there. Who's got what everybody wants? They get first class. In first class, people are served gourmet food on China and drank out of real crystal by their own flight attendants who came back and forth and gave them everything they could think of. In coach, we could buy snacks and a crummy meal if we could afford it. That's the kingdom of earth. Nasty airplane food. In first class, folks sat in reclining leather thrones They had wide seats, lots of leg room, free movies and drinks. In coach, we sat in cramped seats with no leg room. They got knocked around every time somebody got up to go to the bathroom. And we had crummy headsets that didn't work. In first class, people got warm, moist towels for their comfort and personal hygiene. In coach, we had to stew in our own sweat. (laughs) Smell whoever's feet were happened to be wedged between the chair and the window next to you. First class was cut off from the rest of us by a curtain, an iron curtain. It was like the Holy of Holies. 
In first class, they had their own space that was protected by the rules. In coach, we couldn't go past that curtain. That curtain was the stopping place. In first class, they had their own private facilities, their own restrooms. In coach, we had ours too, and you had to wait a half an hour to get into them. And you could not go into first class, even though I sat right at the aisle with two steps to their restroom, I was not permitted to go past the curtain into the restroom. I know, because I tried. They said no, first class only, because we were in the court of the Gentiles, the unclean. That was the Holy of Holies. That's kind of how it feels. I mean, when you look at it, they, they, had, they had everything. I mean, that's the kingdom of this earth. That's the struggle that we're in. Everybody wants to move from being just ordinary, everyday slugs into being pristine, first class, and move. We want to move up in life. We want to feel special. We want to be treated well. We want to have the nice things. So one day, Jesus leaves heaven to come to earth. And the angels say to him, Master, you'll be going to earth. Well, we'll prepare first class, of course. And Jesus said, no, um, I think I'll fly coach. Let's make it a manger, a stable. I'll be a carpenter from a poor community with no name and no reputation. The son of man will have no place to lay his head. Yeah, I, I'm going to go coach. He came to earth. Nobody expected, nobody recognized the Messiah. No one was expecting the Messiah to fly coach. Nobody expected him to come from Nazareth. Nobody expected him to come from nowhere, to be no one. And so James and John come and they ask, what do we have to do to get into first class in the new kingdom? Can we sit in first class? Can we sit next to your rather recliner, to your throne? Can we sit next to you in the coming kingdom? And when the ten heard about this, they were indignant by the two brothers. Not, a, not only had the two brothers come to Jesus to ask for the best seats in the house, to, could they accompany him to the place of the greatest authority, greatest power, greatest prestige. They had their mommy ask. I mean, that, how embarrassing is that? It's not just that you're asking and everybody else, you're basically putting yourself in front of, but you're having your mommy do the work for you. I can imagine Jesus just shaking his head when, when he heard them. So he responded, and Jesus gathered them all together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, why were the ten angry with James and John and their mommy? Why were they angry about this request? Was it because the ten were committed, or they were so committed to humility and servitude? And they just felt this was disrupting the new order of things in the new community. Or was it because they were jealous because somebody else was getting there before they were and going to get the better seats? I think it was because they were concerned they were not going to be top in the pecking order of the new kingdom. Wait a minute. They got there first. Oh, no. They had the guts to ask what I wanted to ask. They had the guts to ask. Their mom pushed for what I wanted anyway, which was to be first, which is another illustration of the kingdom. 
It's all about the pecking order. Now, I did a bit of reading this past week about pecking orders. You know, it's really interesting. These are truly things in the animal kingdom. For example, in the chicken pen, I was reading that there is no, there is no peace in the chicken pen until the chickens discover and figure out who is the top of the pecking order, who is the middle, and who is the least. The chickens won't rest until they know who's first chicken, because the first chicken, the top chicken, that chicken eats first. And they pick on anybody they want. They literally peck on other chickens. The middle chickens are pe pecked on by the first chickens, and they pick on those below them. The bottom chickens are pecked on by everybody. That's life in the pecking order. That's where we get the idea, the pecking order. Ironically, there's a lot of research been done on this. Nobody knows what makes a chicken dominant. Nobody knows who decides who's king chicken. It just happens. Somehow in chicken world, somebody lets out the idea that there's a certain order of things and this chicken deserves first chicken seat. They get first order in the pecking and they get to peck on everybody they want. They decide somehow who is gonna be exalted and what chicken's gonna be humbled. Nobody knows. But a lot, of a lot of animals have a pecking order. You know, dogs have an alpha, that they follow the alpha male. <laughs> I found it really interesting. Orangutans have a pecking order. The, the, the ape, the orangutan, have, have their own pecking order. And it's interesting, they discovered that because part of the orangutan is um, they have a blue rear end. I guess this is a thing. And that those with the bluest rear end are the highest in the pecking order. And so sociologists did a study at one point where they took the, the poor little orangutan that was the smallest, scrawniest, most beat up orangutan of all. They painted his rear end a bright royal blue. And sure enough, within moments, his pecking order changed. Other larger, more mus muscular, and more prominent orangutans began to defer to him. They would get out of the way when it was mealtime. He got all the dates that he wanted. <laughs> the ladies were absolutely over the top, over the moon for this orangutan because he had the bluest rear end. And all of a sudden, things changed until the day when the paint began to wear off. And as the paint wore off, little by little, he was pushed back down to the bottom of the orangutan community. And in the end, he ended up one neurotic orangutan. Pretty silly system, right? I mean, but don't we have our own blue rear ends? I mean, don't we have our own system? Don't we have our own pecking order? Haven't we discovered a way to say you're better, you're, no, you're not, you're the highest, you're the lowest? Haven't we in our own world established some system by which we value and judge and put people in a place in our society? The Romans certainly had, it was just everyday language. And this is interesting, Richard Foster, the author, writes this, how like chickens we are. There's always a pecking order in the kingdom on this earth. You can tell in, in subtle ways who gives way when two people are talking at the same time, whose jokes are laughed at even when they aren't funny. Who, you see this going on in offices. Who is allowed to ramble and pontificate in conversations and who isn't? Who has to say, I'm sorry, and who doesn't have to say, I'm sorry? In my day, he said, you would go to a high school cafeteria and you would find a table where the jocks and cheerleaders sat together and no geek guy would ever go and sit there. Why not? There are no rules against it. It's the law of the pecking order. 
And I remember when we were in high school, and I remember being at the football guy's table. You know, I remember being, hanging around with my buddies. I knew that there were certain places. We had a senior court, and senior court was, of course, for seniors. And it wasn't named that by the administration. That was just the place we owned. And it was because we were bigger, stronger, and we would pretty much pound you if you came where you didn't belong. That was a world in which it just, and, and honestly, it wasn't exactly, but that's kind of the concept. The stronger we are, the bigger we are, the more powerful we are, the more we want others to know where they belong in our pecking order. The more beautiful we are, the more money we have, the higher our rank or position or title. We all esteem those people as a little better. We don't write books about the guy that works at the break shop down the street. We don't want to know the story of the person who serves our groceries at Trader Joe's. We don't really concern ourselves with the lives of lesser people because the greatest in the kingdom on earth are the masters with the power, the money, the beauty, the positions. And everybody knows how human beings can be crushed by this system. You're born with one little attribute out of place. Your eyes aren't quite as beautiful or well-placed as somebody else's. Your hairline slides back a little prematurely. You have too much hair, too little hair. You have beautiful teeth or horrible teeth. You don't have any control over the shape and dimension of your body in the early days of your life. You are given what you're given, and yet we are prized by whether or not we were given a gift of beauty. And we walk around as if we earned it in some previous life by our character and our great you know, heart in life. Like for some, some reason, we are better human beings because we were given a body that just basically comes together a little differently than somebody else's. Or because we have a little more testosterone, a little stronger, a little bigger. Maybe we have a little less of this, a little more of that. We, we position, and it crushes people. This system where you find yourself presently right now in your life in a situation where the kingdom of this earth has reigned over you in such a way that you are trying hard. Some of you are scraping and clawing and fighting your way out of that little place of kind of, it's literally of nothingness to find yourself to be something significant. That's why when you get the money, you buy that nice car. You know people spend more money on their cars here than on some of their highest value items like their homes I mean people will spend more to buy a car while they rent a crummy little apartment they'll, they'll, because they want to be seen to be less, more than the less than they feel like they want to be seen to wear nice things because that's one way they can crawl out of this pecking order system and everybody knows how we can be crushed by the system of this world the kingdom of this world crushes the spirit and this is the way kingdoms on earth are. And Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. You know how it is in your office. You know what it's like at your workplace. You know what it's like in your family. That's the kingdom of this earth. And then he goes on. And the high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 25, of course, that's how it is, right? Then he goes on with these four words that absolutely frame everything in the kingdom. Not so with you not so with you this isn't the way it is journey church not so with you 
follower of Jesus, not so with you. In your home, in your office, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workspace, in your family, not so with you. Jesus is abolishing the pecking order as seen on earth. He's calling for the creation of an alternative culture, a subculture that's going to supplant and literally get underneath the roots of this old system and root it out, completely abolish it. It expresses and incarnates this new culture. It's called the kingdom of God. Up there is coming down here and he's telling stories about what the kingdom of God is like. He uses illustrations to help us understand. And then we have to, in our 21st century, have to figure out how to retell them to this new 21st century audience so people will understand. So the kingdom of God is like an airplane where there is no first class and there is no second class or coach. Everybody's all together. Everybody's at the same table. Everybody is valued the same whether you are rich or poor, powerful or have no power. So the kingdom of God, everybody eats together. Everybody serves from the same china. Everybody accesses the same restroom. Everybody given the same honor. It's like the kingdom of God is like Southwest Airlines, only with better food. And you think, better yet, the kingdom of God is where people who have money, folks, listen to this. This will blow your mind. I'm serious. Some of you, it's going to tilt your wig. When you think about the kingdom of God is where people who have money buy the most expensive tickets for the best seats and then give them to the person with no money. That's the kingdom of God. They give them away. And where the people who have the power, instead of complaining about the service not being right, and now everybody isn't catering to them properly, they volunteer to become flight attendants. They put this little towel over their arms and they go up and down the aisle and they say, may I serve you? Can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I help you? This is because God who owns the airline, the, the one who is the pilot on the aircraft, the one who owns it all, put on a serving towel and went and he sat down at each of the passengers' feet and he washed their feet with a basin in his own hands. And he's saying, now please understand what I'm doing because this is an illustration of the new kingdom. This is an example to you of what life will be like when you enter my way of living. This is what it looks like to enter life to the full. You get your joy and your kicks in a different way than powering up over people or making somebody feel less than or stupid in a conversation because you're smarter, wittier, quicker, or whatever. This is how it works in the new kingdom. You celebrate others. You lift them, you build them, you encourage them, you raise them up. And from some of those people, are going to they're going to raise up above you. And then you're going to celebrate and clap and say, well done. Now you have more than me. God bless you. This is because God who owns it all is walking around with a serving towel saying, I want you first. I want you first. You go first. No, you go first. There's nothing like the kingdom of God, folks. There's nothing like this vision. And the kingdom of God is, is like a barnyard where there's no pecking order, everybody. All the chickens are the same. There's, there's no greatest chicken or a humblest chicken. They're all, they're all strutting the same way. Every chicken looking out for every other chicken. I mean, that's the kingdom. There's nothing like this kingdom. And, and when people would hear about this and Jesus would talk about this, 
they would say, that's what I want more than anything else, particularly those people who were on the bottom of the pecking order who realized there's no chance I have never been born into power. I have never received wealth, nor will I ever attain wealth. I cannot change my physical d direct appearance. I cannot make myself attractive. I'll do the best I can with what I have, but it just isn't in my genes to look different, much different than I do. So what do I do? And Jesus goes, then come join my kingdom. You can be the greatest. You can be the greatest just by the choice to enter life and serve others and give yourself for others. You can be the greatest. And people would say, I want to be a part of that. That's what I want. And they would sacrifice everything, their lives, their possessions. They would do it with joy. They didn't have to be begged or guilted or dragged. Things started to turn upside down. The Roman government started to take notice. They started having things happen in this community that they couldn't see happen anywhere else. Miracles, sacrifice love people laying down their lives for others this started to supplant the greatest tree that the world had ever known this great system of power called the roman government started to get a little bit tipsy it started leaning this a little bit and the more that people got on board with jesus way of life the more this system of of oppression depression obsession with things and possessions and looks began to t it leaned and leaned and finally the kingdom of heaven broke in in a way that literally changed the whole known world. Now the rich people are buying the best seats and giving them to the poor. Now those people with power are putting on a serving towel and saying, how can I serve you? Because the kingdom of God has come to the earth. This is what it looks like, folks. Serving has become a household word. When somebody became a follower of Jesus, man, their whole world began to change. Their personal life, their perspective, the way they viewed others, that it's not a possession, not a, not a means to an end, not a way to get more of what I want, not a way to sell them something or gather something. It was simply this is a person made in the image of God, designed for greatness, and I'm here to help them find it, attain it, and grow in it. This is what it became. And it changed their homes, it changed their work, it changed their community, it changed their nation. The church is passionate about this anytime there was a slippage in this somebody would step up and say get your eyes back on Jesus folks this is what we're all about serving is what we're here for and you can hear Paul's passion about servanthood and to the church when he writes to church in first Corinthians he's speaking to the wealthier members and what had happened is they began to have these feasts where the poor were neglected, the rich would do like the kingdom of the earth. They would come in and take the best seats and find the best food, and, and they would begin where the poor were left outside and were pushed to the minor, the minor position, asked to, to wait until the wealthy had had their fill. And Paul writes them, 1 Corinthians 11, he goes, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions. And they lived in a world where everybody was divided up into class, right? First class, second class, pecking order. And Paul's saying, I see what's going on here. You've come together, and instead of eating the Lord's Supper, you bring a lot of food and make pigs of yourselves. Some are left out and go hungry. Why would you stop to des Why would you stoop to desecrating God's church? Why would you actually shame God's poor? That's what's going on here. People who have resources and means are feeding themselves, taking the, pushing them to the best seats, taking and claiming for themselves what comes best. 
the poor being left out. That's how it worked in Rome. That's how it worked in their households. And Paul is saying that is not how it happens in the church. You can't shame God's poor. Don't you dare. Make yourself as if you were better than or above one of your brothers or sisters for whom Christ died. This is the kingdom. I would never have believed you had stooped to this, and I'm not going to stand by and say nothing. This is a violation of the heart of Jesus, and it goes against everything we're building. Don't let this creep back into the church, because our Savior was a servant. He was a servant of all. Jesus came and made himself nothing. Philippians chapter 2 talks about this. That you're to have the same nature, the same heart, the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, who was in very nature God, but made himself a servant. He literally took off the crown and became a servant so that God would be able to be glorified in the least of them. And went clear through the church, even leaders began to call themselves diakonoi. A diakonos was a deacon. That's where we got the word deacon. A church deacon was a diakonos. And that literally meant servant. They were a waiter on tables. So the leaders of the church said, just call me diakonos. Just call me table waiter. Call me servant. Because that's what I'm here to do. I'm not here to boss anybody around or tell the church how it should be run. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. We're waiters. Man, you want, you want to lead at Journey? I, I just pray that you do. But the way to the top is to become a master servant. It's to look around and say, where can I serve? It's to put on the towel over your arm and say, here, I'm here to serve. Where can I be useful? Where can I be useful? Can anyone be happy when he's the slave of everybody else? That was Plato. Plato said, how can anyone be happy when he's the slave of somebody else? And Jesus comes along and says, how can anybody be happy unless he's the servant of everyone else? How can anybody experience life in full joy until they've given themselves to others? That's the kingdom. There's never been anything like it. No first class, no second class, no pecking orders, no impressing anybody. Just a community of waiters. So the question and the message I have for you is, how's your heart on this? How's my heart on this? Really? How are we on this? And the last thought I want to leave with is this. How much I need God's help with this because we've all been given a gift. All of us have been entrusted with something really special. Something that we do well. Something that we thrive when we are accomplishing it. Something that when we step into it, that was a gift. The scriptures talk about when leaders lead and, and people who have mercy gifts are showing mercy. People who are shepherding because they have a shepherding gift. People who have healing gifts step into their healing gifts. People who have teaching gifts step into their teaching gifts. People who just use their helps gifts to help others. It's, it's just a miraculous thing. He said, I designed you for this. And when you step into this, the whole, king, the whole community, the whole world stands back in awe. This is how I designed you. You're the body of Christ. Every single part is a member. Every single member is part of this, and you are, you are not doing your part if you sit on the sidelines. And not only that, but the body can't function. The world can't see the body of Christ in motion until everybody's doing their part. That's just how it's made. It's how it's designed. And somewhere along the line, we came up with this idea that why don't we gather together and call ourselves a church, and then we can hire us a minister. And what does the minister do? Well, we'll hire the guy who go to school, and he'll be a theologian, he'll be a teacher, he'll be a, a scholar, 
Um, he'll also be the janitor, and he'll be the guy who collects the offerings, and he, and he takes, does care of the banking and the finance. He's got to be really good at graphic design because he's got to do the bulletin. And don't forget, he's got to make sure that the church is clean and ready for Sundays. And after he's done with that, then we want to make sure that he's done something to make the coffee and the experience really tasty. And so we want to have donuts, and we want to have child care, and we want to have... And so what we'll do is we'll hire three people to do all of that for 600 of us. Really? See, I'm not blaming you. That's the system we've set up, and Jesus would stand on this right now. He would say, that's not my kingdom. My kingdom is everybody saying, what's my gift and how can I serve? And there's nothing more sad than an unused gift. Chase, Elle was talking a moment ago about Chase and her, they, they bought this house, and it's, it's going to be amazing, but it's not yet. Okay? That's just a creative imagination. You look at this, you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be so good, but you've got to see it through those eyes of what it will be. It's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. And so they're starting, and they're, they had to tear it all down, basically, to build it all back up. And during the process, um, I, I, several, a couple years back, I purchased my, my first set of really good DeWalt you know, power tools. And I'm so proud of these. And I, can't, I take them, you know, and they're used for all the church projects and whatever. But I, I remember one time um, they came down to work out in the cafe. They were using them. And it's just a bag of, you know, like that, that you know, set that comes with all the – and I bought the extra $150 high, you know, high octane batteries for extra length and all that well somehow during the process somebody stole my tools i didn't steal them they went home with somebody on a on, you know accidentally i'm sure it just happened to have elmore written all over everything just so this wouldn't happen but they disappeared and, and it was my crescent wrench and i mean everything that i had that i'd purchased and i was so angry I was really frustrated. I'm like, are you kidding me? The first time I have something nice and somebody steals it, you know, and that's actually the way it goes in life, right? So I went ahead and I, over time, I just went ahead and bought the, a new set. And this new set, of course, when you get the new stuff, you upgrade. So I got a little bit nicer set. And this set, I actually got this incredible 60 amp battery. And this sucker, is supposed to last, you know, I don't know, 100,000 times longer than the other one, something like that. <laughs> and, and it's so cool. It, see my name? It's, it's right there. And the funny thing is, we've been working at Chase's house for months. We've been tearing it apart and going into it, and my tool bag is zip-tight with my little battery never having been opened. I didn't want this one to go missing. I didn't want this one to get stolen. So it's never been out of the bag. And yesterday, this past week, Travis was, or a couple weeks ago, Travis was laughing about it. He's saying, well, don't you, you got to get one of those 60 amp batteries. Like, I've got one. He goes, where is it? I'm like, I didn't want to tell him. <laughs> it's not coming here, I'll tell you that. Nobody's going to steal this one. So I basically buried it in my garage. And yesterday, I went out there to look for it because I'm like, that's stupid. I've got to use this thing. It, what's the point of having it if I don't use it? I couldn't find it. I buried it so well, Jesus couldn't find it. I mean... Like, where, and finally, as I was, last night, as I was writing the final notes of my sermon, I started cracking up. I remember, I hid it in my truck. And sure enough, I went out there, and, ver and, and there it was. It's in the truck. So Chase, wherever you are, we're using this baby. <laughs> because there's, there's nothing worse than an unused gift. And I'm just telling you, folks, your gift matters. And if you have no other idea what your gift is, then can I just tell you that get out there and start serving. Try some things on. See what fits, because when you're doing it and you're doing it well, 
everybody thrives. I'd like to have a guest come up. This is our friend Julia. Julia's going to join me on the stage for a moment and have Julia share a little bit about some of her experiences in this regard. Um, you have a lot of people around you that when the kingdom lights come on, the spotlight will zoom in on them because they are the servants that nobody sees. Julia is one of those people, and she will not like me saying that, but she is a servant behind the scenes. Julia, welcome. This is Julia Yosef. Did I say that right? Yes. You're going to have to get that nice and close. And I want you to tell us a little bit about areas of you, your serving and just a little bit maybe about what it's meaning to you, what it's meant okay. to you. All right, so first of all, I'm absolutely humbled to be here. Truly, I don't belong here. She did not want to be here. At all. Not at all. So I'm still shaking, and we'll see how this goes. But I'm also honored because I do feel passionately about a couple of the ministries that I'm um, taking part in here in the AV. Um, the first is Grace Resources. Um, they were doing Grace Resources before I even came to Journey, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, I know back then a lot of people didn't even know about it, um, and it's still one of those things that we're kind of getting up and running, um, but I serve with an amazing team. I mean, it's so not about me. It's about everybody who steps up. Uh, we used to do it once every other month. Now we're doing it once a month um, because of the need at Grace, so they reached out to us and asked if we'd be willing to do that, and our amazing team actually stepped up and said yes. And so now we really are in need because a lot of times life just happens. People can't always be there to do um, and serve and give um, in the ways that we would want to necessarily, but um, it's, it's definitely a team effort. And so if you've ever, uh, there's so many different ways that you can give. Um, you can start um, financially if you want. What happens at Grace? What, what happens it? at Grace? So basically what we do is we feed the homeless um, one meal each month. Um, there's in between 150 to 250 plates that we serve in an hour span. So oh. it's really amazing, yeah. Um, but again, it takes, a, it takes many people, many bodies, many, many talents. Um, we can use financial help if people are willing to just add, you know, to their tithe for serve the world, that sort of thing, have it earmarked for grace resources. Um, there's, uh, if you like to shop or whatever, everybody shops probably once a week or whatever, wants to pick up items um, for the meal that's gonna happen. It's usually at the end of each month, the fourth Wednesday, although that changes here and there, um, just based upon need. Um, you can bring things here, drop it off here, I'll come and pick it up from your house. If you, don't have the funds to, you know, to buy things, um, I'm happy to pick them up for you if you'll just help out with cooking or something of that nature. We, we can use it all. And if you can't do any of that, but you can come and serve, um, again, it's from 5.30 to 6.30, um, typically fourth Wednesday of each month. Um, and an I hour a month, right? One hour. It's, yeah, it's really, it's not a huge commitment, but it's so super important. Grace does a whole lot of other things too. They give out coats and clothing and diapers and formula and uh, they have classes and you know, they hold classes for people who are looking for jobs to try <coughs> to help them get on their feet and stuff like that, computer classes. So there's a lot of other areas that we can all be serving in. Right now we're just sticking to meals for the time being. Um, the other, uh, and I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who's helped out um, 
because it's truly, it's, it's a combined effort. Um, the other would be, I'm at CareNet as well. I volunteer there. Um, right now it's twice a week. Um, they are a crisis pregnancy center. They are a licensed medical clinic where women can come if they're um, experiencing an unplanned pregnancy. Um, we minister to, to women, we minister to men who are you know, right there with them. Um, and we provide um, pregnancy, free pregnancy tests. Um, we provide counseling in terms of options. Um, we talk about what abortion really looks like um, because there's a lot of misinformation out there or no information. Um, we talk about um, the option of adoption or parenting and we also connect women with resources out in the community that can help them if they decide to parent or adopt, um, that sort of thing. Or even if they you know, end up going on and um, choose abortion, there's Bible studies for women who have been through abortions so they can actually it's called Surrender the Secret. They can kind of um, come together in a non-judgmental place and, um, and talk about it and heal with other women who have been through the same thing. Um, so they are in need of nurses. Uh, they're also in need of people who are willing to just come and be advocates. Um, people who come and stuff envelopes for newsletters that they send out each month. Um, it just runs the gamut. And um, at both places, like uh, children are welcome as well. I know I get that question a lot of times. People say, you know, can I bring my five-year-old, seven-year-old, that sort of thing. We say the more the merrier and the earlier the better. It really, you know, is a great, um, just a fantastic lesson for children to learn how to give and serve others early on. Um, and it really, yeah, it blesses. We also do ultrasounds there too. Um, they have actually just trained me up on how to do ultrasounds. So if you're a nurse who's interested in doing something like that, they do provide free training as well. Um, it's literally a window into the womb to kind of show the mom that this is not just a blob of you know cells, that sort of thing. It is um, the makings of a human being, and everybody's God's creation. So we just want to you know love on women who are going through a tough time. A lot of them react out of fear. And so we're there and come alongside of them and really help them up until the child, if they decide to parent, turns two years. Boy, Julia, you have your hands full. Not only that, she provides breakfast uh, once a month for our volunteers in the Sunday morning before church. Everybody loves her breakfast. This is a gal who is literally one of those the spotlight will fall on in that day. But Julia, why do it? What's the benefit? I can't explain it. I mean, it's better than any feeling you get from wow. doing anything else. I mean, I love my work. I'm, I'm a nurse. I work with moms and babies and whatever, and you get a certain satisfaction, of course, from your work and from your family and things like that. But when you give to others who are in need, there's just, I don't know, it's just a feeling beyond. There's such joy, honestly. And we see that in people's lives, you know, in their, in their eyes and their thankfulness when they're talking to us at, at you know, going through the line at grace and they'll say thank you thank you so much bless you guys for doing this you know and it's like oh we're humbled by it it's it's wonderful um but yeah i just believe that god you know once we step into his his call for our lives it just 
he's blessed us abundantly, my home, my family, my, you know, and blessed me with great friendships out of serving with other people as well. So it's just amazing. Yeah, there's no other feeling. There's no better feeling, really. Thank yeah. you, Julia. God bless you. Let's, let's thank Julia for her work. Thank you again. At Journey, <clears throat> we break it down to three categories, campus serve, community serve, global serve, because we, want to, we literally are called to reach our world. Everybody's part of the kingdom. They're also part of the, the body. If you're part of Jesus' family, you're invited into this incredible life. We put this on your chair today so you would know if you want to participate. If you're looking for a place to invest your life, if you're looking for your next step in engaging your gifts, if you're ready to step out of your comfort zone, <clears throat> this is your opportunity. Um, we have all the different areas of ministry going on here. Some of them may fit you better than others. If you hate children, do youth. <laughs> if you don't like youth, do life groups. <clears throat> Get involved in guest services. You can be one of our stage announcers. You can, you can do a lot of different things. We have technicians and band members, and you can see all those people, guests who, guest services who welcome you every Sunday morning and try to provide. These are all volunteers. Again, there's only a couple people on the paid staff. Everybody else in this church is a volunteer. And a church only works when everybody's working. That's the only way. Uh, when anybody comes in and says, well, my needs aren't being fed, it's like, you're right. Who's not meeting them? Where are the people who are supposed to be there for everyone? And obviously, it's not one person. It's, it's all of us stepping in and becoming part of this incredible work of God in the world. And this is part of what the invitation is. If you're interested in discovering more information, again, this is not a commitment. This is saying, I'd like to know more about this area. Our kids' ministry has to have dozens of people every week just to make our Wednesdays happen, our Sundays happen. Our guest services have to have lots and lots of guests. They're welcome. The, the host team, our cafe chases over that. You can, there are so many ways that you can get involved. And I just want to make this available to you. Again, this is not to guilt you. This is not to beat you up. This is an invitation. Jesus said, come to me, who, you who are already weary and heavy laden. I'm not going to give you more to beat you up or to make you... I'm going to give you the invitation to life. Take my way of living on you. How was his way of living? I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He's saying, come into my life, my way of living. Enter into the way, and you will find the truth and the life. That's what our invitation is. As the band comes right now, I want to pray over you. And again, this is not... A guilt thing. You don't want to do it? You don't want to do it inside here? Find elsewhere to do these things. Serve. Give. But I can tell you what, our family will never be complete and our body will never be fully um, running properly until everybody is doing something that gives back. Once a month, serving in kids is not going to cripple anybody who has children. <clears throat> you already know what it's like. Once a month, guest services. Once a month, doing something in the hot spot. Once a month is typically what it takes when everybody's doing something. You, I just dream of the day when we have people showing up and saying, I can't find anywhere to serve. Everybody wants to serve. What's the deal around here? I've never seen a church like this. How come everybody wants to participate? Because everybody's caught the vision for the kingdom, that the new life that Jesus offered is a kingdom of servants. Let's pray. God, as we close, I'm so grateful. 
My life was changed because of a handful of people. Starting with Miss Chandley when I was just a little kid, five years old, in the nursery, always bringing me Tootsie Rolls. And to Miss Sires, who led the children's ministry and was willing to step up and show herself a servant, even though she was busy with her own family and life, she served us. I think of the people like Mike Peavy House and those in my junior high years who just stepped in and made themselves available to these ornery, <clears throat> frustrating junior hires in my group. Into high school with all the people who volunteered, Brenda Rushing who took me to youth group and David Strickland who taught me what it meant to be a friend. I just thank you, Lord God, for so many of those who were just there for me and I just am so grateful, Lord God, that you've given me the opportunity to be a part of that. And I just pray that our church family would begin to see their lives are meant for more. And it's not about finding and clawing and frustrating until you know, they get their way to first class, but it's actually joining into the great serving revolution that's changing our world. And I pray, Lord God, you would speak to us in our area of need, in our area of gifting, and invite us to use our gift and not waste it. I pray, Lord God, you would guide us as we each just kind of wrestle down what it is you would have us do next. And again, Lord God, let the whispers of Jesus echo in our hearts that we are loved and treasured and valued and that the Son of God who came to this earth gave himself so that all could know life and life to the full. So all who would believe, who all who would receive could then become children of God. Perhaps that's the greatest thing we could do today is just step into that relationship and become one of your kids. I pray if anybody's here wrestling with that, Lord God, you would draw them. Give them the faith that it just takes to step across the line and become one of your children. If you're here in the room today and you want to do that, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Right where you are, right where you sit, if you've never stepped into this life and you wish to today, between you and God, a simple prayer where you say, God, I open my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. I receive what Jesus did on the cross when he died for all our sins and to receive the life that he's promised to all who believe. I ask that you would come into my life, plant your spirit in me to lead me and guide me and show me how to live a new way. Let me get a glimpse and a vision of the kingdom that it would transform me and the world around me, Lord God, and make my life count as I step up and use my gifts for your glory. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, stand with me. We're going to sing one last song before we leave this morning. Free. 
Thanks for joining us today, Journey. We'll see you next week.